1: Leviticus 18, verses 22 to 30. After reading, I will say, This is the word of the Lord, and you will respond with, Then speak to God. Leviticus 18. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defy yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal. To have sexual relations with it, that is a perversion. Do not defy yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the foreigners residing among you must not do any of these detectable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such persons must be cut off from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of these detestable customs that were practiced before you came. And do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning. Uh, good morning, everyone. And uh, thank you. If this is your first time coming to the Church, really happy to have you uh, worship with us. Uh, my name is Femi. And we've been doing the 7th series. We're still continuing in that. It's going to run from now till the end of November. But we started in September and it 's on what we call idols idols well the name of the series is idols and the city and really, this is motivated from as Christians, we believe Christians worship one God, so one we, we believe that everyone is called to worship something, everyone worships something, whether they know it or not. Um, now, but if you're not worshiping the one God that Christians would say is the only God, then what you 're worshipping is an idol that by definition now um, Many people would have identified idols with the kinds of images that you see on the screen, those kind of graven images. But we learn in the Bible that there's there are more than that. And so, uh, for instance, in this city, Lagos, we have three main idols that we think we worship. And that's what our sermon series has been about. So the one is the idol of sex, uh, uh, sorry, idol of money. And we treated that in September, number of series on that. And then there's the idol of sex, which we've been treating in this month of October. This is the final sermon in that. And after that, we will be looking at power. All right, so in 2015, the US Supreme Court made a landmark decision that effectively legalized same-sex marriage throughout the whole of the US. And that made headlines throughout the whole world. And it made headlines, really, because it's the US. There are over 20-something countries that already had legalized same-sex marriage in uh, in their land before the US ever did. and even more than that, some wouldn't have legalized. They didn't legalize same-sex marriage, but they already had, um, like, what you call civil unions and partnerships that were recognized legally. Now, many of us may feel a bit squirmish about that, but increasingly in Lagos, you know, uh, more and more people are uh, opinions about what you think about this. It's varying. I think there are people now that actually virtually say, "Well, this shouldn't be a problem." Um, either you're affirming it, or maybe you say, "Well," We can have it in the laws, you know. I don't care about it or what have you. And for instance, take in the fashion industry. Now, in the fashion industry, and we do have some people here that are in the fashion industry, and they'll tell you, you know, the pressures for um, trying to a lot of people, the advances that are made on you, it, it's just something that is just there, and most people don't don't squirm at it the way that some people do. Or take recent interviews. I remember seeing some by. How I many of us know Faust the bad guy? Files, bad guy. It means something to us, right? Okay, yeah, should, should. I'm not going to ask anyone to. Sh- no, he's not Shaku Shaku, right? He's yeah. no bodies, But he does, uh, anyway. All right, now, Files. Files recently had started, um, he, he he started this thing, it's called On the Couch, all right? On the Couch is for people to just come, presidential aspirants. He didn't want them to strung their chest, you know, and uh, he was interviewing them, and it's meant to be a little bit. Um, informal, but at the same time somewhat serious. And each time, one of the questions that he would ask them is, what do you think about the criminalization of homosexuality? And that's said in a context, because he's asking that in relation to a certain law that we had. So you had the US law, but we have our own law. In 2011, through this is probably national record, there was a bill that was passed through uh, Senate and eventually housed the, um, the, what do you call this? House of Representatives. And from what I know, it's probably the quickest bill to have gone through in Nigerian legislation history. I mean, APC and PDP do not even agree on their slogans, right? They don't agree on anything. This one they agreed on, and we, the people, also supported them. And it was a, um, it was a bill that eventually became law, I think, in 2014, that criminalized not just homosexual activity, but also criminalized homosexual assembly. Any assembly of any kind that had to do with homosexuals, mm, I think you're liable 10 to 14 years if you break any of the specified laws that are there. So on the one hand, you had the law in the West like that and some other countries, South Africa inclusive, that, that permit it. But then you have countries like Niger and other countries that are prohibiting it. And so these two laws represent, in some sense, they try to push us to two places. They're polarizing the world. And they push us to two camps. One camp, eh, you can call the homosexual affirming camp. The other camp, you can call the homosexual bashing camp, which you belong to. Because most of us Christians will say, ah, I know where the Bible sits on this. I know where Christians, we should be. We know where we are, especially if you're an African Christian. You know. We know where we should be. And that's because of scriptures like the one we read. This scripture also is in the context of laws. And verse 22 points to, is talking about uh, laws on homosexuality. So we'll say, for instance, look, mean, we know where the Bible sits on it. 1822 is very clear. Forbids it, and as far as I can tell, the clear Christian position on this is what has been practiced and believed in our city and country all these decades. That law is just representing what the Bible is saying. Or is it? <laughs> But well, that's what this sermon is about. You see, the issue of homosexuality is far deeper than what it normally appears to be. And just as laws aren't just about the laws themselves, we'll find out that laws are primarily about worship. And if misunderstood, as usually is the case, you'll either be taken in any of those two directions that I just mentioned before. You see, laws are about worship. In a society where sex is idolized, we will end up misusing sex or rejecting the misuse of sex in a sinful way. Whereas the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us to humanize sexual misuses whilst calling them to repentance, and at the same time, it corrects those who reject them in a sinful way. So I'll to this sermon, Misusing Sex, and it will be explored under three subheadings. One, defiled people. Two, defiling acts. And three, Defiled savior, defiled people, defiling acts, and defiled savior. All right, so let's go into uh, the first point: defiled people. I think I want to come out just very straight and tell you, plain and simple. Most Christians' view on the issue of homosexuality on, on, the, hum- on the issue of homosexuality is not just, you know, some would say, modernly wrong. I think it's actually biblically wrong. And it's not just biblically wrong, it's hypocritical. When it comes to this issue, we are ruthlessly legalistic concerning what the Bible says because we go above and beyond what it actually says. Look at the text again, verse 24 and verse 29. It says, do not, and I want you to identify two categories of words here. It says, do not have do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations are going to drive out before you became defiled. That's 24. 29 says, everyone who does any of these detestable things, such persons must be cut off from their people. Now, notice the two categories of words. On the one hand here, you have words like yourselves, in verse 24, everyone in 29, and persons. One category. Yourselves, everyone, and persons. On the other hand, here, you have, in verse 24 again, these ways, and then in verse 29, detestable things. Yourselves, everyone, and persons, ways, and things. Notice what it does here. The sin is separated from the sinner. That is, as strict as these laws are, the law still humanizes the people who break the commandments. It is the actions that are detestable, not the persons. Most Christians that I know, I'm saying most Christians that I know, that means, that means some of you here, right? Well, I've never asked you this question. But most Christians that I know, they form their view on homosexuality using what I call the yuck factor. You know what the yoke factor is? Why do you think homosexual, uh, homosexual practice is wrong? Ugh! God, man, that can't, that can't be man. Oh my God! I don't even want to talk about it. Those people—they're like, that's how we form our views. How can Hey, God forbid? This is where I feel when I when somebody talks to me about mashed peas, right? The only thing worse than peas in this world is mashed peas. And you can imagine, right? You take mashed potatoes and mash—it is horrible. I don't want to start a conversation. My wife can't stand me. Anytime we go out somewhere and somebody put. Cooks fried rice, and they put peas in it. You know why? The first thing I do, I start picking it. She's like, what kind of person is this? I hate peas. But mashed peas, it's like you put it over... And that's how some people feel about homosexuals. But ugh, you are repulsed by it. You see, the problem here is a problem of identification. What do I mean by that? When we think about them, we primarily identify them with their sin, and not as people created in the image of God. And when we define them with their sin, we see them more as detestable things rather than persons. That's why I think that law went with, uh, you know, with, with the speed that it went through. Because I think that that law at least denies them one fundamental basic human right, which is what? The right to assembly. But it makes sense why you would deny them the right to assembly. Because if you don't identify them as human beings created in the image of God, you identify them as detestable things. You identify them with the sin rather than them as sinners, what happens? It is only human beings that have human rights. Things don't have rights. So why would you give them the right to assemble? Let's be honest. Can we be honest with ourselves? Can we be mature? Let's be honest. Most of our views and reactions to gay people are rooted in homophobia. What is homophobia? The fear, hatred, or the revulsion of gays. And make no mistake about it, homophobia is a sin. It's a sin because you do not, you refuse to regard people as people created in the image of God. I'm not done yet. Further on the hypocrisy, Israel were not allowed, because these laws were first given to Israel, Israel were not allowed to single out homosexuals the way we single them out in the church. How do I know? This is verse 22 that I said. You know when somebody says 22, what does that mean? Before it was what? Now oh, Come on, you guys are smart people now. Before 22 is what? And before 21 is what? Do I need to go on? Up on the way till 1 to 21. There are many laws that were already there. A lot of laws that were there before we got to 22. In fact, the whole passage is about sexual immorality. And 90 plus percent of the sexual immoral laws that were there, you know what they were focused on? Heterosexual people. In other words, the way we would separate and create a new category for them is not even as strict as this thing is. It's not the same way the Bible does that. It's set within the context of many heterosexual sins. And this is not just here in the Old Testament. It's the same thing in the New Testament. If you read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, like we do now, you'll see it's the same thing. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Yeah, we know that. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral no idolaters, no adulterers. Okay. Wow. All right, those. I want you hear it? All right, I understand. Because all of these guys, they're in a particular category. But of course, they can't put homosexuals there because those ones are going to like they are really, really bad. No men who have sex with men. Oh, I see what's happening. I see what's happening. It was going in ascending degrees. Do you see? It was going from bad, badder. Worst and worstest. So obviously what comes after that is a full stop. Nor thieves. Nor the greedy. You still want to use that bad, bad, worstest? Because some of you here, I'm sure, your greed is the problem you have. Nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Not only does it not, in Leviticus, it was just sexually immoral sins, right? Now it just says homosexual sin, sexually immoral sin, all kinds of sin, it puts them in the category. But we don't do that. We always identify the other kinds of sin, and we still see those people as people. Why? Because some of those are us. But when it comes to this one, it's like, ugh. For instance, some, you may, have you asked this question before or said this kind of thing? God did not create any gay person. No. It was just a matter of their choice. God, uh, no. God didn't create any gay person. God created people, but then they now chose to be gay. With all due respect, can I just say, please stop saying that. Because most times, I often want to ask the next question. Oh, if God didn't create any gay person, did God create any adulterer? Did God create any greedy person? Because what you're essentially saying is that God does not create anybody with sin. Now David, who was an adulterer, right? you remember David—he was an adulterer. Yes, a, a man after God's heart. He was an adulterer, and a murderer as well. David, he reads and he knows something about God creating things. David would say God created human beings, but he knew also that God created human beings through human beings. That's why we speak about procreation. God is the only creator, but he creates through the, um, through the activity of a man and a woman, right? Are we together? And David then said this in Psalm 51, verse 4 uh, 5. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother even conceived me. What is David saying? David saying, no, God creates. Human beings bring sin there. That is, you will not be able to separate sin from a human being that's born into this world. You still want to be saying that? There's a complexity there. God does not bring or create any evil, yes. But don't move and then say, therefore, God didn't create this particular person. It's just a matter of choice. And let's even talk about the choice thing. It's in their mind. They just made a choice. Of course, they did. Tell me which sin you've made that you ended up not making any choice in. But here's the thing about choice and sin. Sometimes we can oversimplify the issue. Choice is an act of the will. But that doesn't tell the whole story. I've met many people, for instance, who struggle with masturbation or struggle with the viewing of porn, pornography. They know it is wrong. They tell me, me, I know this is wrong. They want to stop and yet they keep falling into it over and over again. Did they make a choice when they did it? Of course they did. Is it as simple as they just made a choice? No, because the thing also holds them captive. And there's one more point I should make. Oh, no, one more. No, this one. I didn't include this one in the first service, so this is a bonus in the first service. Can you stop saying as well, If they say, Temisa lies, I'm not saying you do lie. Temisa lies, Temisa, what would Zino say? Her husband would say, stop lying. Stop lying. It's not good. You're breaking the Bible's commandments. It's true. Ah. Um, Bumi, Bumi, Bumi. Ah, I was about to say something that would not be good. Give me a a nice thing. No, there's no such thing as a nice thing. Bumi. eh? 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 Bumi. Eh? Bumi is so vain. Bumi is too vain, you know. She likes quirky stuff, natty hair, you know all those things. She's always looking at herself in the mirror. Bumi is too vain. What do we say? Ah, Bumi? is not good. Vanity, vanity, no. all is vanity. So we correct. Ha, Femi is struggling with homosexuality. Bring him outside here. We have to pray for him and cast out the demon. <laughs> he needs what? Deliverance. Do you see? We don't. We don't treat it. We treat it in another category. And the Bible does not treat it in another category. The Bible distinguishes the sin from the sinner, but we bring, them to, we bring them together. And so while we should find sin as something that is wrong, we end up finding the person themselves as wrong. Now, let me tell you one more danger that there is in doing this thing. When you lump the sin and the sinner, you're not able to distinguish them. You know the problem? you risk, if you reject the sinner, if you reject, if you, if you don't distinguish the sin from the sinner, you may end up soon accepting the sin when you are forced to accept the sinner. What do I mean? I don't know if, how many of us have heard of the guy, a guy called Fai, I mean, he goes under the moniker double F. He writes, he blogs, he tweets. It's more if you are into finance stuff and uh, criticism of a particular businessman, I won't call his name. Um, you can read him, but he's a good writer. But he only writes usually on economic stuff. Now, in 20, um, he moved to the UK from here in 2004. He said he moved as a Baptist Pentecostal with his homophobia well set and intact. But in 2008, something started to happen, change. You know what happened? Barack Obama was running for presidency, this was the first time, against John McCain. And from about 2006, you know, if he was into Reading economics and all those things. So he, there was a particular writer he loved to read. Very, very good writer. If you read him, Andrew Sullivan. And he was reading Andrew Sullivan for almost two years. He loved his thinking. Andrew Sullivan is a great thinker and a great writer. And so that really shaped a lot of his views as he was following the campaign trail. And then later towards the end, he found out Andrew Sullivan is gay. And then that started to change his views. If you'd asked Fahy me before, if I told you that person is gay, would be like, ugh, you know, he would separate. The because he rejected the person. But all of a sudden now, he'd been reading this guy for a while, and that guy's writing humanized him before he knew the sexual identity that he was taking. Because Faye had already embraced a reject the sinner because of the sin, When he had already accepted the sinner, what was he forced to do next? He had to accept the sin. I know many Christians who have changed their mind on this particular issue. They started very, very yucky. But they changed their minds because their children came out as gay. Or because their sibling came out as gay. Because those people, those disgusting people that you don't want to have anything to do with, at one point, that was... You can talk like that, but when is your own child? Will you say this one is not human? When is your own sibling that you've grown up with? You know that person is very human. And so if you lump both of them together, then you enter into a problem of moral confusion. Let us distinguish, as the Bible clearly does, the sinner from the sin. That takes me to my second point. defiling acts. I haven't said all of this. The Bible is pretty clear on this. And not just from this text, but even if you go into the New Testament, say Romans 1, 25 to 27, or 1 Timothy 1, verse 10, But as we see here, God calls homosexual activity defiling. In other words, he's saying it's wrong. It's been wrong from the beginning all the way to the end of the Bible. The, and, and unfortunately, there are many Christians who feel, and I, I'll get back to it, but we're trying to change our views on this as though it isn't clear. It is. In fact, it's so severe that God says here in verse 24 to 25 that this is why he punished the people that were in the land that he was taking the uh, Jews to. And then he now required in verse 29 that if any of his own people actually did these things, they also should be punished. I know maybe someone here that is struggling with this or maybe you know someone that is going with this and you accept that that kind of uh, worldview. You're probably saying, you know what, I liked you in the first part. Now you're starting to deviate. You're starting to enter into error. And I can understand. Maybe you have some objections. I think there are like maybe three objections I can think of that you would have against this. The first one goes something like this. Femi, you say, this is who I am. In the same way you are black and you are male, I have same-sex orientation. That is, it is part of my fundamental identity. In the same way you can see the color of your skin, in the same way you are sure that you are male, is the same way I identify with my sexual identity. Before I kind of respond to this, can I say, especially to that person, and also to us Christians, that I understand why. I understand why you would take this thing as your fundamental identity. Because Christians, please, let's hear this, especially here in Africa. If you listen to many gay people, if you listen to their stories, the stories that they have, it is one of tragedy upon tragedy. People marginalized, people looked at, people made fun of because of the way they talk, because of the way they walk, because of the people always rejected because of a particular thing people are seeing in them. Now, what has happened over history is that many times, if you find a group of people who are persecuted, who are rejected, the only way they can combat Social persecution, maybe if you call them particular names, is to take the thing that you've called them, reappropriate it so that they can empower themselves. What do I mean? Take, for example, the word nigger, right? I'm sure many of us, you know, your parents told you don't listen to black American music. Why? Because they're always calling themselves nigger, nigger this, nigger that, you know. I'm like, I thought it was a bad word. Exactly, it's true. It was. It was a word that um, white people used on black Americans, but it was a deprecating word. It was an oppressive word. So what did they do? In fact, before they used to reject it, they used to want to don't bring that, but eventually they said, you know what, we'll take ownership of this word so that you will not use it to oppress us. So they took it, used it among themselves, so that it lost the power that the white people used to use it over them. Do you see? They took the word, the tool of social oppression, they owned it, and then they reapplied it so that he could empower them. Say, oh. And you say, but you know, Americans, their, their heads are, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know anything about that. Well, if you don't know anything about that, you should. Because there's another word I'm sure you can connect with that does exactly the same thing. Is the word Christian. You see, the word Christian was not given to Christians by Christians. Actually, the word Christian came also within the context of persecution. In Acts chapter 11, after a guy called Stephen had been killed in Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 11, verse 24, it says, 19, 21, it says this. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among Jews. Some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You see what's happening? Stephen was killed. There was a persecution that broke. People were now moving to different cities because of the persecution, but as they were moving, they were spreading the gospel, and people were were becoming believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, so now they're in Antioch. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church at, and, taught them, and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians, first where, at Antioch. They were called Christians not by the believers. They were called Christians by those who were around them, identifying them, and also persecuting them. And that's why Peter, in 1 Peter verse 4, Right, I can get there. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 16, he says, look if however, if you suffer as a Christian do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. They understood that because the word Christian was, was identified with their suffering. But today everyone uses Christian, don't they? I, Most of us use the word Christian. Why? Because we have taken that word, we have reappropriated it, and we have empowered ourselves with it. Amen. And so for many gay people, what happened was that fundamental identity, that way that people had persecuted them and had called them and identified them with, that particular term, rather than them running away from it, they're embracing it as a way of empowering themselves. So if I get a gay person here or struggle with those things, I understand that. But can I ask you, please, don't make the same mistake that we Christians have made. And what is that? By identifying yourself through, primarily through your sexual identity. And I want to give you two reasons. because one is you should only really identify yourself fundamentally by something that is not fluid that is fixed, what do I mean? For instance, let me give you two quick examples. Studies on one have shown how identical twins, I know what I mean by identical twins. Identical twins uh, happen as a result of an embryo, one embryo splitting into two. So it's the same embryo. Non-identical twins, is going to be two embryos that were there. But identical twins, one embryo splits into two. That's why they look alike. So they carry a lot of the same biological um, um, uh, realities. But many studies have shown how same identical twins, say, and they have um, eventually they they live out their lives and they have different sexual identities. If this was a biological hardwired thing in your life, then it would mean that every single time, if one of them was gay, then the other one has to be gay. Just like you will not find two, two identical twins that one is white and the other one is black. Or neither would you have two identical twins where one of them is female and the other one is male. So whatever it is, and I'm not denying the way people feel and all of those things, it is not as hardwired as the color of someone's skin and somebody's sex. Second, There are many people who have experienced same-sex attraction maybe in their teenage years, in their early 20s, and eventually those feelings, those attractions, dissipate. There are many people. In fact, the vast majority of people who have these tendencies in or have these attractions in their teenage years, eventually they do not actually live it out with that sexual identity. So again, it is not as hardwired, and you should not be fixing your identity on something that is not that fixed, something that can be fluid. And one other thing is that you make it hard for people to humanize and accept you when you tie acceptance of you to something that is a moral category for most of those people. When you say, if you don't accept the validity and the rightness of this thing, then you are not accepting me. You are basically telling people, except they agree with you morally, they cannot accept you. That is not a way for people to humanize you. Whereas if you distinguish uh, between both of them, you would allow people to love and accept you as a person without having to agree with your lifestyle. The second thing you say. It's probably something like this. How does who I sleep with, who I sleep with in the comfort of my bedroom, how does that harm you? How does it harm you? Well, the, this harm argument is too short termistic, or it's think, thinking in a very, very short term way. For instance, if you look in verse 24, 26 to 27, God there says that these people had been practicing these things for a while. And then, after a while, the land became defiled. It wasn't so much like they did it like this, and then God punished them. No. It took a long time. In other words, we make laws not only uh, to protect against immediate harm. Many times, we make laws to protect against long-term harm. So for instance, we make laws against murder. Because you know, somebody that you murder, they feel it immediately, right? Like, you, you don't kill somebody today, and then the person dies next week. Right, right? So, so we put laws to protect against harm. In that regard, there's immediate harm that's felt, right? So we ban murder. But we also ban smoking in public areas. The person, if, if I was smoking here, and there was someone next to me, and he inhaled the smoke, that person doesn't get cancer tomorrow. You know that. But over a period of time, studies have shown, and we've come to see, that actually it's more dangerous for the people, what you call it, passive smoking, it's more dangerous for people who are passive smokers than people who are actually inhaling the thing from the cigarette. And so we ban against that. So we don't make laws only for short-term reasons. We make laws for long-term reasons. And many of the problems that people have with, for instance, putting laws that will allow for same-sex marriage is that you are causing a big social disharmony. For instance, the thing with same-sex marriage is that first of all, you have to start with same-sex activity, allow for it, which most of the time can't end there. You then have to allow for same-sex unions before it then allows for same-sex marriage. And believe whether you agree with this or not, the truth is that when we talk about same-sex marriage, it's not about just expanding marriage for more people, no. It's a fundamental redefinition of what marriage is. And when you fundamentally redefine what marriage is, it cuts across all aspects of society. I mean, take places like um, Sweden. If you, if you say, look, you have, to de- you, have to get me- you have to marry me in the way I identify myself, no one should actually define who I am. I'm going to define myself. Well, you may define yourself with homosexual activity, but then I cannot stop somebody defining themselves who, by all intents and purposes, is a man, from what we know. Then the person says that they're women, That is a woman. I can't. And then you have people that will say, I'm neither a man nor a woman. And then somebody who says that then has to then say, so if the society identifies me, the way I identify myself, that means when you have toilets that are saying men, women, I can decide to go to the one which I identify myself with. That starts from the redefinition of marriage because it's a right to self-identify yourself. And before you know it, you can get to where Sweden is going to where they said that when you're teaching children, you shouldn't use gender-specific pronouns because a child at the age of three or four can't really know whether he's a he or a she. So what people are saying is that it, you can say, well, it's just, can't people just love who they want to love? No, it's not like that. You move the pendulum on this thing, and it has ramifications all through. It's not because people hate people. It's because we don't just make laws for short-term purposes. We make it for long-term purposes. And maybe your third objection is, what's, just the, what, what, what's the problem? Why is this thing such a big problem for you Christians? It's just a big problem. Why is it such a big deal? And I will say it has something to do with design. Design. Now, um, people that come to this church, they'll tell you something. I'm a very generous guy. You know, it's not, it's one of these things, I can't help it. I I see people, and I just like to give them gifts. And not small gifts, so you know all this kind of, uh, go and take, uh, is that still Chocomilo? Is that something like that? No, no, I don't give stuff like that. I mean, I give people, like, big things. So, for instance, I can say, okay, who wants, who wants an iPhone X? Who You don't want? Who wants an iPhone X? If you want an iPhone X, raise up your hand. XS. Right? Right? All right. For everyone that raised up their hand, you will get an iPhone X by the end of this week. Amen. No, it's not. Amen It's like prayer now. What are you talking about? I'm saying you will get it me, did, uh, did you take that? I saw about 18 hands. On, uh, again, who else? Who else? All right, by the end of this week, right? And Zeno will pay for it. <laughs> but assuming that reality, that pie in the sky reality came to pass. is not happening. I'm not mortgaging my children's future on this. But if it came to pass, I give you an iPhone X. And let's say you've been using that kind of phone. That means phone, all this toy phone. You know toy phone? <laughs> All this this that is worse than Nokia 330. I would tell, yes, I'll tell them because I've been telling you to change that phone. You here. <laughs> sorry, Sarah. Um so so now all of a sudden you're not get given this iPhone X. And you're like, ha! Huh? Before all of my things they used to have like uh, 10, 10 buttons, right? But now I get this phone and it just has one round button down there. Hey technology. So you like this, but you now press it. Something you're like, well, I don't. I'm now seeing as a, the screen. I'm now seeing different colors of different things. I don't know what they are called though. Somebody said, is it app, apple, app, app, app? What do I do with this? So this thing is confusing me. How do I now know how to use it? What do you do? You reach for what? The manual. Because you understand that the iPhone did not come out of an explosion of a phone factory, right? It didn't just materialize. People with a certain design, a certain vision, put all of these things together. And they put the buttons right at specific purposes to do specific things. When you see an iPhone, you infer that the iPhone has a designer, and the designer has instructions on how his design is meant to work, isn't it? As Christians, the guy, the law, the God that gave those laws, all these sexual and moral laws, he's basically saying, Look, I created this world and I created you in my image. I know how you and I know how your sexuality ought to work. It's about design. Because we have even clues of these designs there that tell us there must be a designer that must be telling us what to do. So that when the issue of um and Let me choose my words well. But but the issue of um, lovemaking comes. You can see right down to the the nature of the sexual organs of male and female. You can see that it's complementary, that they were made for each other. Just like a key and a keyhole are made for each other, right? You can see they are made for each other. One gives, the other one receives. And it's in that context that when the man gives, and also gives of himself, and the woman receives what she, re- what she has, an egg inside her, when the two come together, that's another union, isn't it? The sexual organs come together so that there's another biological union that comes together, and the fruit of that is what gives birth to another human being. That human being, when that human being comes out, where does the human being come out from? From the same sexual organ of the woman that the man went through. And that human being then looks like both of them. So that sex itself is tied to procreation, which is also tied to marriage. The problem with, the homosexual, with homosexual activity is that it can never achieve that. You say, oh, but not everyone, not every couple, um, um, heterosexual couple give birth. I agree. Not all of them give birth, but by design, they can. With homosexual activity, it can never happen. So by looking at clues of design, we know that this thing is right. Whereas, if the homosexual activity cannot produce the flourishing of human beings, because it can never produce more human beings, then the activity can only achieve one thing, pleasure. And in that regard, it is self-serving and doesn't serve the human race. Because if we are not reproducing, then this world will go extinct. You see, the God who created you, even though you have these things, he's the one with the manual. He knows best. Which brings me to my last point, the defiled Savior. You say, so what do, I, what do I do about how I feel? What do I do about how I feel? Maybe I should just accept. I should just accept the fact that, as he says in the in the text, in verse 29, that this God, if I continue like this, God is going to eternally, eternally cut me off. He created me to eternally cut me off in hell. Or maybe, as it says in verse 28, he's ready to eternally vomit me out. What do I do? Now, very quickly, before I get to what you should do, I think it's important to make a distinction, three distinctions between someone with same-sex attraction, someone with same-sex orientation, and someone that we can then call gay or homosexual. Right? Let's say that together. Say same-sex attraction, same-sex orientation, and then homosexual. Now, same-sex attraction means that, literally, you, you, can, have, you can have attraction to somebody of your same sex. And many people, some of you sitting down here, it has happened in your childhood, whatever. I'm not saying you lived it out, but we've all, oh, I didn't say we've all, but people have. And many people eventually, if that goes away, you hear all the stories, girls, only girls schools, only boys schools, you know I'm not going to feed your mind with that. Same-sex orientation is another thing. That is, these are people who have never felt any kind of attraction towards the opposite sex, never. They only ever feel any attraction towards their own same-sex, it is like that's the way they feel. Now, being homosexual is now, with that same-sex attraction or the orientation, you act out on how you feel. You see, that's the third stage. You can be same-sex oriented, and you've not started to live a lifestyle. Now, back to what do I do with this feeling? Well, there's one way that we can deal with this. And I'll say this. It says this. Worship God through his Savior in community. That's the solution. Worship God through his Savior in community. You see, if you read the text, right, if you start in verse 2, how does it end in verse 30? What's the last sentence that is there in verse 30? I am the Lord your God. That's the way it ends. But that's curious because the, before the law starts, it starts with that exact physiology in verse, in, in verse 2. It says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. Now, in biblical interpretation, when you see something like that, we call it an inclusion. That is, the way you start is the way you end. You kind of bookend, right? What that means is that whatever is in between, the body, So that's the beginning, and that's the end. But whatever is in the middle, the body, is trying to explain what you had at the beginning and at the end. Do you understand me? So what he's basically saying, when he says, I am the Lord your God, God is identifying to the Israelites. You can't have any other God. I am Yahweh your God. And he's basically saying, with all that is in here, which is sexual ethics, he's basically saying, for you to identify me as your God in your sexual activity, these are the things you are to do, and these are the things you are not to do. Do you understand so obeying the commandment is about, fundamentally, about worship. That's why he says, look, don't do these things because those guys in Egypt where I brought you from, this is how they used to behave. Why? Because they were worshipping another god. Don't do these things because the people I'm taking you through, this is how they behave. Why? Because they worship what, another god. The way you live your life determines the god that you worship. Worship, and that is in every aspect of your life. Like we learned with money. What you do with your money, show me your, how you are. No, I say, show, the money, show me the money, and I'll show you your God. And it's the same way also. What you choose to do with your sexual life shows me the God that you worship. And God is saying, worship the only true creator. And you are saying, but this is hard. Just telling me, do this thing. Just do it. It is hard. I understand he has the design, but I don't have the power, I don't have the motivation to do it. And I want to say, you need to be introduced to this God in another way, not just as creator. You see, when he says, I am the Lord that brought you out of Egypt, reminding them there. He's saying, I am not just your creator, but what was happening to them in Egypt? They were under slavery. And so he's saying that I am not just the Lord that created and designed you, I am also the Lord that has redeemed you and saved you. And you say, how did he do that? Because beyond Egypt, with Egypt, they were slaves from physical slavery. But they had a lot of these things in them because they started to break these laws, as we see later. Far down the line, this God became a human being. In the person of Jesus. And instead of you being cut off eternally from him because of your sexual sin, you know what he did? Jesus, someone who was sexually pure, was cut off from God's presence for you, if you believe in him. Instead of you being vomited, as it were, exiled from God's presence forever, Jesus, on the cross of Calvary, was exiled from God's presence for he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was exiled from God's presence because of your sexual sins. And so, if you believe in Him, He will bring you to God's presence. In other words, you see, this Savior received the consequences for sexual defiling sins for all those who believe in Him. This is a greater reality to define yourself by than how you feel in your body. Because how are you feel in your body As we said, it may change, it may not change, but some people don't change. But this is a reality that can never be taken away from you. Jesus is saying, Don't define yourself, don't define your humanity by your sexuality, define it by my love for you. And saying, if you accept him as Savior for your sins, will you accept and worship him as your Lord and God with your sexual activity? You say, but you don't understand. You are telling me not to fulfill or live out my true humanity the way I feel. And I want to say, don't define yourself by your sexual identity. Why? The most perfect perfect human being that ever existed was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was not sexually active. Your sexual activity should never define you. Let Jesus' love be the thing That actually defines you. But you say, okay, if I do that, but it's going to be hard. And I want to say, the price for saving you, do you think it was easy for Jesus to suffer on the cross for you? And now he's just saying, if you now want to follow me, take up your own cross, deny yourself, and follow me. This is the motivation upon which we stand. And this is not just for people struggling with homosexual sin. It's for people struggling with heterosexual sin. You also have to make a choice. Am I going to follow Jesus with this? Just as Jesus died for me. So I can be in God's presence forever. There's one more element to that. It's the gospel that we've just spoken about. But living out that gospel in the gospel's power. You require hope and you require people to do that with you. Because though we're asking for you to make a sacrifice, you're saying, I'm going to to be denied the pleasures that many of my heterosexual friends are feeling. Well, Jesus is saying, look, there's nothing I've called you to sacrifice in this world that will not give you more, a hundredfold in the world that is to come. And how do we know that? Because Jesus did not remain on the cross. He rose again. And he's rising again. He's saying, look, there is a new world to come. So that I will give you a body where you will not have these issues again. And when you see my face, when you see the face of God, every desire and every pleasure that you feel that you have lost in this world, you will not be able to compare it to what you receive when you see God's face. Can you believe that? It says, because in his presence there is fullness of joy and On his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. But Jesus doesn't want you to do this alone. Because if you try and do this alone, you would always fail. No, Jesus wants you to be plugged into a community of people. A community of love where people will be praying for you, where people will be loving you, where people will not judge you, where people will keep you accountable, where people can now become your family. There are many people, don't believe the lie that there's only one way out of this. There are many people around the world who are actually dealing with this reality that is same-sex orientation and are deciding not to leave it out. But they plug themselves in Jesus' community and are able to find friendship and family in it to walk along those lines. And I want, to, I want us to view one person who has actually done this. Her name is Tracy. <laughs>
0: My name's Tracy. I'm a physiotherapist. I live in London and I'm nearly 30 years old. I became a Christian about three years ago. Before that, I hated Christians. Uh, (laughs) I couldn't stand them. I I knew I was gay when I was 12. I dealt with that as a teenager um, and then, sort of in my 20s in London, lived a very normal life as just another gay person in London. Um, I had a girlfriend, we had a mortgage. It was no big deal. I really couldn't stand Christians and their homophobia. The thing that really surprised me about my first trip to the church that I now go to is just how how really wonderfully friendly and welcoming everybody was. They weren't any of the things that I associated with Christians, they weren't self-righteous, they didn't want to have really intense discussions with me about, uh, you know, my thoughts on the Bible or my life or anything like that, they, they asked me what I did. They, uh, they wanted to know who I was and um, they genuinely wanted to get to know me and, and then the second and third time I went, they remembered my name and they asked about things that I told them I was going to do and it was just very obvious that they were clearly just really happy I was there. Now that I'm a Christian it doesn't mean that I have to become straight or that I'm going to get married to a boy or that that's what I want. The way that I feel is exactly the same as before as a Christian. I have always been attracted to girls. That, that hasn't changed at all uh, and I don't, I don't think it will. I can't see that happening. That, that's what feels natural to me. Walking into church on Sunday is a bit like coming home. It's like walking into a family living room and being greeted by your siblings, only there are hundreds of them, um, and it's, a, it's a, just a wonderful experience. I've got some friends who've got two little boys, they're four and six. I've known them for two and a half years. They are wonderful. I see them Nearly every week, I go around to read the Bible with their mum. But before we do that, I see them, I play with them, read them stories. It's summer, we go on the trampoline. It's hugely precious to me being part of their family. And and I feel very much like like that's what I am. That's how they treat me. I go on holiday with them. If I'm having a hard time, I see them. It's been a, a really wonderful gift. What's good about my relationship with Jesus is that it doesn't change. It is the only thing in life that I can fully depend on. Everything will be taken away from you. Your job, your money, the people you love. Um, But my relationship with Jesus can't. I am definitely more content now that I'm a Christian. Being a Christian doesn't mean that life is permanently joyful or free from sad times or difficulties or, or just really awful things happening. But my relationship with Jesus and holding on to the truths in the Bible, as well as having this wonderful church family. If my life were exactly like it is now in five years' time or in ten years' time, I would not be disappointed at all.
2: I want to commend that website, livingnow.org. To so anyone struggling with any of these things, there are more stories of people that are there. But I hope you caught what she said. She said her relationship with Jesus, living out the truths of the Bible, and a church family that loves me and accepts me, those are the keys. City so Church, I hope we can be that kind of church. I hope we will not be a church where you have people, you know, we won't be a homophobic kind of church, but we'll be a church where we can accept people, people can come and say, I am struggling with this particular sin. I won't now start trying to remove our children from going, don't go near their uncle or don't go near their aunt. can be a church that accepts people that distinguishes between their sin and them as persons. Not condoning their sin. Not endorsing it. We'll never be a church that endorses, that endorses what the Bible prohibits. God forbid. In fact, it's not going to be loving to that person to do that. But at the same time, we want to distinguish knowing that all of us are sinners so that we can help anyone struggling with that kind of sin and other kinds of sin, we can help them as one people in Christ.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.